Romans chapter 13. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7. And let's all stand once again for the reading of God's Word. Good reason to stand, beginning at verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Once again, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. You may be seated. Our Father, as we Now seek to hear your voice in the preaching of the word. May we be astounded and hear the authority of Christ. We ask, Lord, that just as those on the hillsides in Israel were astounded by one who spoke with such authority, may we be amazed And know that your great care and love for us is real. Speak to us that we might serve you. And may it always be based on the finished work of the gospel of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. Thank you that you're continuing to teach this congregation how to live lives now that you have saved us. Thank you, Lord. We look to you. You are the vine. We are the branches. Command what you will and give what you command. Help us. We're weak. We want to live for you. May the Holy Spirit be at work in our lives and may we all be receptive to him, to the praise and glory of God in Jesus Christ. 
Amen. How does God want us to live our lives now that we are saved? That is the question we have been trying to answer since we started chapter 12 of Romans. In our passage this morning, in chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, we are, we are instructed how God wants us to live our lives in relation to the divinely established governing authorities. This is a very, very important subject for us today, but, but can you imagine how important this was for the Christians who first received this letter in Rome. And for them to read these words so that they would know how to respond obediently to the Roman government that God had put in place to rule over them. That's striking. You see, these instructions apply to any conceivable kind of government. They are just as applicable today for Christians in China, North Korea, Uganda, Haiti, Canada, or wherever God has placed Christians in the world as they were for the Christians under the totalitarian regime of first century Rome. This teaching from the Apostle is not meant to answer all of the multiplicity of questions that pop up in people's minds when it comes to government. But it is a brilliant passage with general principles directing Christian believers on how to act Christian under any conceivable government. Of course, Jesus was the only one who ever did this perfectly in heart and action as he, for example, rendered to Caesar and his idolatrous government the things that were Caesar's. And it's not an overstatement at all to say that Christ's proper response to the civil authorities over him was part of the perfect life he lived on our behalf so that we might be saved. His obedient life and sacrificial death that won our salvation is what Romans chapter 1 through 11 are all about. There Paul explains in marvelous detail, marvelous detail about the absolute best good news imaginable that sinners are justified by God's grace working through faith. That's the wonder and glory of salvation, that men and women, young people, boys and girls, are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's chapters 1 through 11. Then beginning in chapter 12, the inspired apostle began to lay out gracious instructions for us so that we would know how to live out our lives now that God has saved us. 
a reasonable response to salvation so freely given, Paul explained, is to lay down our lives unto God as living sacrifices. Then our Lord, through Paul, instructed us how he wants us to relate to one another in the church with the deepest love and commitment. Then he followed that up with how we should relate to non-believers, even including our enemies. The gospel of Jesus Christ has implications in every, for every area of our lives. And although we work these various areas out imperfectly, Work them out little by little, we must, in gratefulness to God for all that He has so marvelously done for us and continues to do through His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul continues to tell us how in chapter 13 when he says, subject yourselves to the governing authorities. In verses 1 through 7, Paul basically teaches us two things. First, he teaches us why we should subject ourselves to the governing authorities. And then he teaches us how we are to subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Well, every person, every person, that is every person, Christian, because that's who Paul wrote this letter to in Rome, Christians. Every Christian should be in subjection to their governing authorities because those authorities are governing by divine ordination. Every government on the face of this earth that exists, exists because God Put it into place. Look at verse 1. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Well, that's why we read three times in Daniel chapter 4 that God rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomever he wills. Well, with that in mind, we should not grudgingly submit to our government, but we should gladly submit, shouldn't we? Because God is the one who put that government into place over us. Christians in China, for example, should submit gladly to their government too. Whenever submitting does not cause them to disobey God's word, that is. And and that glad submission from our Chinese brothers and sisters can even be manifest in the midst of growing persecution. Children, can anyone tell me what the fifth commandment is? Can any of you tell me what it is? What's the fifth commandment? Somebody, anybody. You're not a children. (laughs) 
Children, can you repeat Elder Thornton? The fifth commandment is honor your mother and your father. Now, children, I want you to listen. And by the way, thank you, Kurt. <laughs> that was a number of weeks ago. I recant. <laughs> You're right. Amen. Amen. Children, I want you to listen to me. The fifth commandment requires you to honor and obey your mother and your father. That's a very important commandment, but I want you to know that as you honor your mother and your father, you can know this for sure. You are honoring God. By obeying your mom and your dad, you are obeying God. And I want you to know this also, children. As you grow older, you will learn that the fifth commandment has a broader meaning to it than that. Remember, the Ten Commandments are a summary of God's law. And actually, our passage today lays out some of the details and application about that summary. In its full application, the Fifth Commandment is a command for us to subject ourselves to all authorities that God places over us. Parents, teachers, and children, that includes teachers at your church, Miss Laurie, Miss Liz, Miss Sarah, Miss Abby. For the adults, it includes your teachers. It includes bosses, elders, governor, governing rulers in the state, and policemen and so on. I am so amazed how many professing Christians, on the one hand, believe with the deepest conviction that children should obey their parents, but their own attitude toward the government is disdainful. I don't know about Christians in many parts of the world, but it just seems to me that Western Christians complain and complain and complain. And my question to them is, do parents always do things right? If perfection is the standard, children would never have to submit and obey, would they? We have been together as an OPC church now for over nine years. I cannot believe how quickly the time goes. And as I consider our membership here at SGRC, I honestly have not picked up on any troublesome patterns of blatant sinful attitudes toward our government, and you are to be commended. Some Christians, however, seem to take every single opportunity they can to trash the government. And this, my friends, can be a thinly veiled refusal to submit to the God 
who placed that government over them to rule. Christians need to see past their governments to the sovereign government of Almighty God. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. We need to see past our government to the government of God. Verse 2 goes on, and those who resist will incur judgment. That is, they will incur judgment from the government. Verse 4, for he is God's servant for your good. God handed him the sword for your good. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now listen to that language. Two times in verse 4, Paul says he is God's servant. Then in verse 6, he calls the ruling authorities ministers of God. In the rest of the New Testament, ministers of God are believers who are being used by God to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that he uses those same terms to describe those who are not in spiritual authority over us, but who instead have civil authority over us? Civil authority that is for our good. Verses 3 and 4, civil authorities restrain evil and promote good. That's for our good. And in the larger context of God's word, we know that civil authorities are used by God to work out his providence in this world. Here's why we should subject ourselves to the governing authorities over us. Because there is no governing authority on earth that is not from God. Therefore, its authority is from God. God, and it is for our good. And then in verse 5, Paul adds one more reason as to why we should be in subjection. Be in subjection, he says, for conscience sake. Why? Why for conscience sake? Well, because to obey the ruling authorities is to obey God. To obey your parents' children is to obey God. To obey your teachers and to have a right heart toward them is to obey God. So Christians around the world living under a multiplicity of different kinds of governments can know why subjection to their government is part of what it means to live their Christian life now that God has saved them. And this brings us to how we are to subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Verses 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. 
taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Here's how we are to subject ourselves to the governing authorities over us by paying our taxes. Personally, the lower my taxes are, the bigger my smile is. I got some giggles. I thought I'd get really astounding amen on that one. (laughs) But all the same, taxation and citizens paying their taxes are biblical concepts. Just as a matter of interest, John MacArthur in his commentary notes that the children of Israel were required to pay a tax rate of 24%. That was in support of the government, the poor, the priests, and the tabernacle. And that was before they were ruled by kings. The king would have required additional taxes Beyond that, want to know how to live your life now that God has saved you? Pay your taxes. Even when the early church suffered under Roman persecution, early church fathers like Clement of Rome and Justin Martyr encouraged good citizenship through the paying of taxes. I should have preached this a few weeks earlier. Paul says, pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Then he says, there's something else we owe. We owe our rulers respect and honor. Christians can disagree with politicians and rulers and even work in legitimate ways to change laws. But we are to show respect and honor to the office and for the office. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom for a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the king. I just love the honor that Daniel paid to the pagan Babylonian king when he said, Oh, king, live forever. What a great privilege it is for us to be able to vote and write our congressmen and congresswomen. But watch your heart. Watch your heart because you can begin to live like the government is the one with the keys to your joy. The government is not the one with the keys to your joy. The gospel is. Doesn't the gospel win over the government hands down? The good news of Christ saving sinners for all eternity? He will return one day to gather us together. It will happen. 
And in the meantime, he has established the preaching of the word and the sacraments in particular so that we might gain more faith through the Holy Spirit and persevere in the salvation with which we have been so supremely blessed. If the gospel does not win in your hearts, then what happened to the apostles in Acts chapter 5? That doesn't make any sense. After being repeatedly told not to preach in the name of Jesus, the apostles were beaten by the religious authorities over them. And after leaving the councils, the apostles rejoiced. Rejoiced. They didn't have near what we have today. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the dishonor of Christ, for the honor of Christ's name. Although they were not willing to disobey God at the authorities' demand, there is no record at all where the apostles showed dishonor to the authorities over them. So in answering the question, how are we to subject ourselves to the governing authorities? We are to pay taxes. We are to pay honor. Now also look back up in verse 3. We are to do good. We are to do good. Of all the people on the face of the earth, Christians are the ones who should be the model citizens, law-abiding citizens, young people, law-abiding and serving citizens. We are to be a benefit to the society in which we live by doing good. Sinclair Ferguson says we are not to fight back to change things, we are to serve back. Serve back because we are looking where? Through earthly thrones to the very throne of heaven. Remember what Jeremiah told the Israelite captives in Babylon? He said that they were to serve the king of Babylon and work for the welfare of the city. One of the best ways to do this is to pray for the authorities over us and to pray for our country. Paul urged Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, to make supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings on behalf of all people, even kings and those in high places of political influence so that we may lead a peaceful and godly life, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In the broader scope of the Apostle Paul's concern in the letter of Romans and really his concern in all of his letters to the churches is to pray for the salvation of souls. And in this context, for the salvation of our political leaders. When our political leaders get saved and the dispositions of their hearts are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are often used by God to line up our laws with God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. 
Isn't that what Wilbur Wilberforce was doing when he dealt with forced slavery? Slavery. Children, you don't have to say it out loud, but who was the wee little man that climbed the tree in order to see Jesus? Are you thinking Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was not a politician, but he was a government official. When the dishonest tax collector came to faith in Jesus Christ, he gave back many times more than what he had stolen, and it revolutionized his tax collecting, revolutionized it. It was the gospel that did this. Whenever I consider the story of Zacchaeus, it is so challenging to my own repentance. What a difference this made in this man's life. The gospel did this. Listen, the great commission of the church, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, is not to reform culture. Transforming culture is not God's calling upon the church. Many Christians would say it, it is. God's calling for the church is the salvation of the souls of souls. It is the spread of the gospel for the advancement of Christ's spiritual kingdom on earth. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's why the gospel works under any government on the face of the earth. The gospel always works. And regardless of who is on the throne or in the White House, it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. That's why Peter said in, in his second chapter, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And as more and more people come into that marvelous light through faith in Jesus Christ, the byproduct will often be a changed culture. But there is a big difference between Christians who have an agenda to transform the culture and those who see their greatest calling as reaching the lost for Jesus Christ and those individuals making a greater difference in every sector of our world. The more sinners are brought into God's marvelous light, the more the church will grow and be encouraged, and the more model citizens will have doing good, even under persecution. Even though much of our present government would not agree, Christians that seek to change the abortion laws and help women and children and the poor are working for the good of and welfare of this city and country. And ultimately for the glory of God, right? Christians that promote laws in support of biblical marriage are doing good. It is always inevitable, isn't it? And rightly so. 
that someone will ask the question, why, what should I do if the government requires me to do something against God's law? Well, don't ask me. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ask them that question. They were commanded to renounce virtually, to renounce the covenant God who promised to send Christ, and they were trusting in this God. They were virtually asked, told, demanded, or else you had better renounce your God and, and bow down to this other God. O king, our God is able to rescue us from this fiery furnace. But if not, we still refuse to bow before the image. Ask Daniel when they told him to stop praying to the covenant and one true God. Ask him. You either stop or you're going to become dinner for some very big felines. Ask Daniel. Ask the apostles who were told by the authorities to stop preaching about Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen again. They, they said it is better to obey God than to obey men. We will be respectful. We will always strive to be respectful. We will always strive to be law-abiding. We will be the best citizens you have. But we will not stop preaching about Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Let us pray. With grateful hearts, we thank you for feeding your flock this morning. We pray that the nourishment that you have given to us would go from our minds to our hearts so that we might more fully be Christian now that you have saved us. Help us, O God, in the coming days we don't know what the future holds, but you do. But we praise you for all that you have done in Christ. We praise you for your church. And we praise you that our Lord is coming again. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.